engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hello, friends. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Thank you for taking the time to pray with me and to delve into the scriptures. We are all united here, and I invite you to spread the word to others about our broadcasts on the scriptures. Leave your prayer intentions in the comments. Let's pray for one another as we approach the Lord today with a very, very powerful reading that uh, tells us a lot about our lives, our identity, our salvation, and our defense of the unborn. Let's go into it together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we ask you to have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins. Help us to repent more deeply and to live in a more holy way. Help us to invite others to repentance and to enjoy the new life, the new creation that you make of each one of us. You have adopted us as sons and daughters. You make us like yourself. You call us to be perfect as you, our Heavenly Father, are perfect. We're not talking, Lord, about perfectionism or about the idea that we reach that perfection here on earth. We are talking about the fact that you do transform us and that we must never stop in our growth in holiness. It will be complete only in the next life, but Lord, we know it will be complete, and we know that is the path we are on, and we know our identity, and we know where our fulfillment lies. It lies in you. We praise you for that. Bless us now and help us to ever more deeply understand your word and ever more faithfully live it through Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the book of Exodus. Moses, hearing the voice of the Lord from the burning bush, said to him, when I go to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, if they ask me, What is his name? What am I to tell them? God replied, I am who am. Then he added, This is what you shall tell the children of Israel. I am sent me to you. God spoke further to Moses. Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my title for all generations. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and tell them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me and said, I am concerned about you and about the way you are being treated in Egypt. So I have decided to lead you up out of the misery of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Thus they will heed your message. Then you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent us word. Permit us then to go a three days journey in the desert, that we may offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. Yet I know the king of Egypt will not allow you to go unless he is forced. I will stretch out my hand, therefore, and smite Egypt by doing all kinds of wondrous deeds there. After that, he will send you away. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. I am. This is God's name. Yahweh in Hebrew. Jehovah. This is God's name. I am. It indicates, of course, the fullness of life. And that's where it's interesting that God, after revealing that name, says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had all died. Jesus invokes this in Matthew 22 when he's challenged by the Sadducees about the reality of the resurrection. And he says, if God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then they must be alive. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. And of course, that's reinforced here in the name, I am. But it's not just static being, brothers and sisters. It's active being for us. Notice the context in which this name is revealed to Moses and thereby to the wider community of Israelites. It's the context of being mistreated in Egypt. It's the context of God not just saying, I am, but of saying, I am concerned about you. You heard that verse right here in the reading. I am concerned about you and the way you're being treated. So I am for you. I am in and of myself. I would have been happy forever even if I hadn't created you. But now, out of my free love, I have created you. And out of my free love, I come to save you. I am concerned about you. What a great verse of Scripture, isn't it? I am concerned. You know, sometimes we have Scripture verses put on our, on our computers or on the wall, on a little plaque, on a little bracelet. I am concerned about you. What a perfect verse of Scripture from Exodus chapter 3. Well, this is what brings God to intervene, not only for His people in slavery in Egypt, but in other places too. Remember when they were in exile, we go to Isaiah 45, and uh, we see God concerned for his people. Of course, he was concerned before they went into exile. He told them how to avoid it, but they didn't. They broke the covenant. They shed innocent blood. They killed their sons and daughters. But now, having punished them by letting the Babylonians come in, take them into exile, let the Assyrians come in, take the northern kingdom into exile, he says in Isaiah 45, that he's going to save them, that he's going to rescue them. He says, again, I am concerned about you and the way you're being treated. And notice what he says here. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no other God. I am the Lord. There is no other I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And then uh, he goes on uh, repeating the same theme, telling the people that he will save them from exile and repeatedly saying, I am. Now there's another, again, it's in the context of setting his people free. And then comes to a climax in John chapter 8 where Jesus is speaking with the Jews and he says um, that if they believe his word that uh, they will be set free and they say well who are you 
and he says, uh, let me find the exact place here that I'm looking for. Uh, um, Abraham, yes. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know you, are a, you have a demon. Abraham died, the prophets die, and yet you say anyone who keeps my word will never see death? Are you greater than Abraham our father, who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And then he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. This is John 8 now, going into verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now he's saying this in the context of saying, as I mentioned before, of saying, If you abide in my word, if you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he had just been talking about how they are slaves to the lies and the murderous acts of the devil. So again, God revealing his name as I am is in the context of I am for you, actively saving you. Slavery in Egypt, exile in Babylon, slavery to the kingdom of Satan, sin, evil, falsehood, death. This is who we have to be. The saved must also save. The rescued must also rescue. Those who have heard God say to them, I am concerned about you and the way you are being treated, must say to their fellow brothers and sisters, I am concerned about you and the way you are being treated. And those who are being most oppressed and those who are being treated worst of all are the unborn, the children in the womb. I mean, we just look at the situation. Who's more defenseless? Who's being killed in greater numbers? Who's being killed with greater deception? Against whom, as an act of violence, is the act of violence more cleverly disguised than it is against the unborn? An act of violence is bad enough that it happens in and of itself, but here it's concealed and it's celebrated as a right, the angel of darkness appearing as an angel of light. Deception, deception, deception. And then I want to tie this in with a verse in the book of Revelation. We go right to the uh, end of the Bible. In Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, 
and they will reign forever and ever. In the context of God revealing His name, in the context of understanding that that name is revealed to us for salvation, for rescue, I want to point out this line from Revelation. His name will be written on our foreheads. This is how closely God identifies with His people. We will see Him face to face, no longer through the veil of faith, but directly we will see Him face to face. And, and Scripture tells us, uh, John tells us elsewhere, that when we see Him face to face, we will be like Him. The transformation that begins now in this life will be brought to its fullness. And that name is I Am, that name of life, that name of rescue. It will be written on our foreheads. On our foreheads will be I Am, the name of God Himself. Now that tells us something about our identity, like we were just saying. If He has life, if He is life, then we will have life. He said that explicitly, for example, in John 6, as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will have life because of me. So I am written on our foreheads means we are sharing now in a life that never ends. And then secondly, if indeed God revealed that name to us in the context of rescuing us, then it confirms our identity as lovers of one another, rescuers of one another. Now in heaven, we won't have to rescue anybody from anything. There will be nothing corrupt there. But nevertheless, our identity is the same. And the beautiful thing is we begin sharing in that identity now. His name has been placed on your foreheads now through your baptism. So it's the already but not yet. It's a life that has already begun. We, are already, we have already died with Christ, risen with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavens, but not yet fully. And that still has to unfold in our physical death and resurrection. But it's real, it's nonetheless real, even now. So even now, His name is written on our foreheads, which means even now, we have eternal life. Like Jesus says, those who believe in Me have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. So there's something already here, there's something not yet fully unfolded. So with the rescuing, that's part of our identity now. We have on our foreheads, even now, the words, I am, which speak to everyone who sees our forehead, I am concerned about you and the way you are being treated, which speaks to our service of the poor, the destitute, the downtrodden, the discriminated against, the persecuted, and the unborn. I am. It's part of our identity. And people ask, oh, why oh, should we be pro-life? Or, or we don't have to be pro-life. Or I'm a pro-choice Christian. Or why do we have to talk about abortion in church? And why are we adding these other things? And this doesn't belong here. Oh, it belongs, all right. It's part of the very essence of who God is and who we are. I am for you. I am for the poor. I am for the weak and the helpless. I am for the unborn. We rescue because God has rescued us. What a marvel. You know, it's, part, it's our identity. And it will be our identity forever. Let's turn to the Lord again in prayer. Father, you have revealed your name to us as the one who is and the one who rescues. Thank you, Lord. 
You have revealed yourself to us as our Savior. And Lord, you give us, not just by command, but by our very identity, the duty to be rescuers for one another. May we keep the unborn firmly in our sights, in our hearts. May we keep the unborn in focus. May we save them each and every day. Now let's pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Friends, thank you. Pray for me, for our team, for our staff. Donate to us, ProLifeGift.org. You can support our work, ProLifeGift.org. And let's pray for one another as we move forward in living this life of Christ, which makes us defenders of life. God bless you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.